Welcome back to Married with Children, the podcast. Um, exciting night to, or day today, actually. Used to doing these at night, but um, we do have uh, a very special guest in studio, um, Chris Spangle from the We Are Libertarians Network and the We Are Libertarians show. So, Chris, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming down. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a really nice studio. I'm always amazed when I go to shows like yours or Smugcast or Juice, and I'm like, Man, all these guys have better studios than me, and I start getting envious and start looking on Amazon. And <laughs> well, you know that that is uh, there is no doubt that uh, Smugcast and and those guys have um, have kind of inspired me. And and it, it's funny, I went up about a little over a year ago and did their show, and got home, and I told my wife, I said, "We're going to start a podcast." Yeah, and it did start with a. A, a um, card table, card table, and a couple of chairs. Yeah. Yeah. It that's, that's how it begins, and then next yeah. twenty thousand dollars down the line, you're like, <laughs> oh. we have we have slowly but surely gotten uh, more and more. So yeah, yeah, this is much much nicer than the smug casts, <laughs> and way better way better sounding than juices. Well, and and juice when we went up and did juice, the the only knock I'll have on juice is number one, he didn't turn my mic on for the first. <laughs> two minutes or something uh i love getting the text afterwards from juice hey man sorry i didn't have your mic on for a little bit but uh the second part is it is hot at juices man yeah it, it gets roasting up there so no, i love juice and i he was the first one that i they kind of did in this little circle of podcasts right and gone on there a couple times and he's a great guy uh, and the Smugcast is fun, so I'm looking forward to to meeting you guys. And I learned a little bit about your show beforehand, and it's you know it's sort of like we have a, a podcast called Boss Hog of Liberty that basically is the media outlet for Henry County. Mm-hmm. And I've seen how great that's been for the community there, and mm-hmm. so it's cool to see another show doing that for their local community. Right. So it's it's great to be on. Well, before we go any further, I do want to thank our sponsors that help us here. So. Miller's Termite and Pest Control is the only place you need to look for pest control. Don't get roped into contracts or high prices with the big companies. Reach out to someone who cares about you. They can handle any problem from termites, bed bugs, ants, spiders, etc. They also do lawn care. Where else can you keep the bugs out of your house and your yard looking sharp? Reach out to them today on Facebook at Miller's Termite and Pest Control. Email at pest underscore in underscore peace at yahoo.com or by phone at 812-767-5657. We've all heard horror stories about insurance companies and insurance agents. Let me tell you about my family's agent, Tommy Taylor. Tommy is an agent at Indiana Farm Bureau Insurance and is a multi-line agent that can keep all your insurance in one place. Why is a dedicated agent so important? When you have the unexpected occur, you'd much rather know the person on the other end of the phone. Contact info for Tommy. 812-372-4483 at extension 2447 or look him up on Facebook at Tommy Taylor, Indiana Farm Bureau Insurance. Don't be another horror story. Stop knocking on wood and relying on a 1-800 number. Trust Tommy Taylor today. Looking for a new tattoo? Looking for a professional piercer to add to your body art? There's no reason to drive to Indy or Louisville. Just visit Beauty from Ashes Tattoo Parlor in Crothersville, Indiana. Beauty from Ashes is located just past the Dollar General on Highway 31. Stop in and check out the amazing work done by all four artists at the shop. 
Each artist has a unique and personal style, but all do amazing work. The shop is family-friendly, so don't hesitate to bring your kids or loved ones with you when you stop by to get some ink. Check out all the artists' work on their Facebook page and book an appointment today with either Kyle, Martha, Billy, or Lily. You won't be disappointed. Beauty from Ashes Tattoo Parlor, Crothersville, Indiana. All right, and Chris, let's let's start here because this is something I always find enjoyable when we talk to podcasters. Mm-hmm. How did you get into the podcast game, and, and how did it start? Well, I I worked in radio. I started in radio in 2004. I was in college, and I got an internship at WXNT, which was the lowest-rated AM station in town. It was a news, news talk station, and uh, worked there for about four years. At the end there, I was Abdul's producer. People may know Abdul Hakim Shabazz, and... Uh, I did that till 2008, and, you know, when you're in radio, it stays in your blood. It's sort of like if you're into racing, which I can see you are, it's like you, you, you're never not into racing. Right. Uh, yeah, and so I went to work for the Libertarian Party of Indiana from 2008 to 2012, and I had bought podcast equipment because we were doing a podcast, and the guy quit doing the podcast, so I, t- I took it over. Spent uh, far too much money. I, th- I took out uh, basically the equivalent of an equity loan on, on my car, which was very stupid to buy my equipment. But you, as you guys know, podcasting breeds stupidity when it comes to spending money on equipment. <laughs> yeah, we do mm-hmm. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I, I, while I was there, I wanted to do a college outreach podcast, and we called it We Are Libertarians, and uh, lasted about two episodes before it wasn't about college students anymore, and it, and it, and it was basically about current events that was seven years ago yesterday was the anniversary actually wow uh and when i left there to go work for an ad agency um i was like you know i'm just gonna continue to doing this libertarian stuff and now i'm you know we have thousands of listeners and it's grown into a national show and it's far beyond what I ever expected it to be. We've got like 40 people involved in creating content on a oh, wow. multitude of different platforms, a daily podcast, you know, with, with a bunch of different co-hosts. And so it's much larger than just me at this point, which is great. You know, I've got people of libertarians. If you have four libertarians in a room, you have five opinions. <laughs> and so, you know, I try to really have on uh, co-hosts that have a wide array of opinions from constitutionalists to total anarchists. Uh, and it's been a fun, fun seven years. I mean, it's, it's made up the core of my social circle. It just gives you a great reason to connect with friends and new friends around the country. I mean, I, I've really, uh, had, it's been such a blessing and, and a lot of fun. You know, and I, a couple things there, because we did talk about it, it creates stupidity for spending money. Yeah. And I know, AP on the Smugcast always jokes that he has all his packages delivered to BJ's house. Right. I thought I was so smart by including my wife in this, and yeah. I was because it's we're a great <laughs> team, and and she she backs me on most purchases. But I don't have that other person to send packages to, so yeah. I right. I just have to I have to own up. And when I bought myself a new mic about eight months ago, and mm-hmm. and I got home and I sold it to her as hey. I got you a new mic. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. He goes, hey, guess what? I got you a new mic. And I come over and I'm like, okay. And then I look at it and I'm like, no, this is your old mic. You got the new mic. <laughs> that's what he, he just bumped it to me. Wow. So yeah, that's what he did. Marital strife. It's like you got the new car and then you gave her the... Yeah, the, it was yeah, the, the used one. Right. Yeah. It was new to her. Right. Um, right. Yeah, but it still has your fry salt on the floor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and another thing, when you talk about... Um, you know, 
the community that you're building and, mm-hmm. and that's you have a, a very impressive array of, of shows and people involved and but let's go back to that idea of libertarianism. Okay. So for for the uninformed or ignorant to the topic, what is libertarianism? It is maximum freedom and minimal government. And it depends on which libertarian you ask. I mean, there there's everybody from, I want the Constitution as written, that was limited government, that was libertarian paradise, that first, uh, you know, in 1789 when the Constitution was written, all the way to, uh, I don't believe there should be any government. Uh, the foundational principle of libertarianism is that government is force. That it is, it is uh, let me explain it this way, uh, it is not permissible or moral for me to walk up and steal your microphone and the morality doesn't change if he and i then vote to take your microphone and just because the two the majority in the room decided that i get your microphone it doesn't make it right or even if we vote to give you a microphone but then we replace it with uh, a magic microphone with you know like we had (laughs) when we were kids like something lesser or so it really is a foundational for for me it's about my principles and my beliefs. I believe that, you know, I believe what I was taught as a kid. I shouldn't hit people. I shouldn't take their stuff. And when you're using the government to solve problems, you are essentially using force to solve a social or political goal, uh, a problem. And some people go, well, come on, you're being a little extreme, but don't pay your taxes. What's the, (laughs) what's the end of that line? Don't pay that parking ticket. Uh, what's the end of the line? You're either going to get fined, and if you don't pay that fine, you're going to end up in jail. That is force. That is the government forcing you to uh, live out your beliefs, and and that creates a lot of problems. And the reason that we are so contentious in society is that we're relying too much on government to solve political problems. And so when you you say you're going to live the way that I believe you ought to live, I go, nah that creates an inherent division between the two of us. And uh, I think we've lost sight of how much we want each other to be involved in each other's lives. Uh, we've lost sight of the, the, the reality is that when you invite, like I just saw Indiana is thinking about banning junk food from the WIC program, from food stamps. And there are people on food stamps who are outraged about that. Well, you've, you've made the choice to let the government into your life. Right. And so don't be mad when they take away your freedoms to choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they make the rules when... when and, and the problem really becomes when you no longer have the choice. You know, um, I was going to SmugCast and I got a speeding ticket. I was going five over. Well, I was going a perfectly safe speed. I, was, I know what I'm doing. I'm an adult. You're, I think to me something is, as silly as that, it's like... You're you're charging me money because you just want to take my money. There's no, <laughs> I wasn't being unsafe in any way, shape, or form, uh, and I, all the way up to why are we sending troops into other countries to keep their peace, but spending our treasure and American lives. So it, it's you know I I just question everything. I was raised that way. I was a very annoying child. I'm a very annoying adult. I just question why why things exist in the way that they do, and I don't just accept that government is the answer because it's usually the problem well you and i would get along really well or or not because i am also a very annoying adult and was a very annoying child because i do the same thing um 
when we talk about that, where is that line, though, between freedom and protection? You talk about mm-hmm. like like the police and the speeding ticket. Where is the line? Because I want something that helps keep order and safety in my community. But I also feel like I should have some freedoms. Um, you you are the ultimate you are uh, you govern yourself. I used to work for a nonprofit called Advocates for Self-Government. You know when you're going too fast, you know, and you know the consequences of going too fast. And the more we just rely on a sign to tell us how fast we go, uh, the less we actually take into account the consequences. We outsource the the, uh, governance to the police to tell us how we ought to act instead of really taking ownership for our behavior. Uh, There are so many things that if we were to go through a litany of examples of, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? The answer is going to be you yourself already know what the right answer is. You don't need someone else to fine you for doing what you already know is right. Or an insurance company will will uh, uh, remit justice or or help or uh, the free market will provide an answer to your problem. Uh, there, there. It's just a different way of thinking than I think the way that we were raised. We, we often think uh, the way that the world exists now is is the right way. But what libertarians say, say is, give us a chance to actually answer questions like that and say, here's how it would work in a free society. Um, and we, we often there, there are going to be times in this interview or in other interviews or on my podcast where I may not have the best answer. Mm-hmm. But that's because the, the. Uh, the existence of humanity has not put its mind towards solving that problem in a free way. They've just lazily said the government will take care of it. So, but the problem is the government is inefficient. Bureaucracy just breeds inefficiencies. And if you're you both said you're in education, I won't ask you to answer this. But the people who work for government generally genuine uh, generally understand that bureaucracy breeds failure and inefficiencies. And so, relying on that as an answer usually is a poor solution let me and and i'm going to talk about this too because where i kind of draw that line too that has really frustrated me i got a speeding ticket it's been probably a little over a year ago too Mm -hmm. and it was a county sheriff um here in the county and Mm -hmm. not knocking our county sheriffs at all but they have a program where if i pay them directly Mm -hmm. then the points don't go on my license it doesn't come and it's not even a deferral program it's a county citation right that to me was the point of where Okay, this is just about building money back into the county sheriff's department, right. not it's not, not trying to be safe. Yeah, or, it's not bad you know, enough. You were unsafe. You're basically telling me you weren't bad enough that I'm going to tell anybody else. But <laughs> if you take care of it, we're all good. Yeah. Well, the reality is that if you have to have government, the government ought to police crimes where people get hurt. Or, you know, I I just had all four of my tires stolen off of my car a couple months ago. The police didn't come out and investigate my property being stolen. They don't do a good job of investigating crimes, violent crimes or uh, crimes where property is stolen. Policing, because the priority set by the legislature or the local township or county or town, the politicians want revenue raised. So they write a lot of tickets or they're going after drugs, or they're going after nonviolent offenses, and so the the crimes that they really ought to be spending their resources and time on, the violent crimes, are, are left untouched, and then they're writing you and me tickets. 
I, I just don't see that as a valuable use of police resources, you know, so I don't want to make it. A, I'm not I'm not anti-police. Absolutely and, not. Neither you know, am I. Yeah. I, but I just look at the I, I think most police officers. Uh, I just saw a video of uh, these police officers going in and confiscating a woman's weed in her ho- hospital room. She had stage four I, cancer. I saw that. And, you know, those police officers, maybe they thought they were doing what was right. But I bet you if you sat there and asked them, they felt real bad about that. And it's because somebody above them set the priorities. Said you and had they're to. Wrong. They're wrong, right. I know you've had Jim Lucas on. Um, I don't know if you have any brownies left. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think he's, he's, he's really been courageous in raising an issue of saying our priorities are wrong mm-hmm. in this state. and we could Especially be, in this state. Yes. Because this is a state that would turn on him quickly for those views. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, we could have three hemp crops a year or you could you could be the the you know, they've estimated the official estimate is that every 250 cars coming from Michigan where weed is now legal uh, have are are trafficking marijuana into Indiana. But the police actually think it's 100. (laughs) So instead of us actually having the economic benefit of that for something that everybody's already going to do. And and we're just going to waste police resources on some nonsense, and instead of uh, and let Michigan get rich while we stay poor. That's my biggest argument with the whole thing. Is number one, first of all, yes, I believe it has medical um, uh, benefits. benefits. Thank yeah. you, uh, medical benefits. And I think that you know, obviously, big pharma doesn't want to see that because it's a natural uh, element that they can't they can't control as well. But the other part is, if you look at not. Throw out the fact that you can make tax dollars for your state. Mm-hmm. Just what it costs us to police, incarcerate, and try offenders of minor drug laws like marijuana and or cannabis, I should yeah. say. Um, that's crazy to me, is what we spend. If you just flip the script and you don't even talk about the money that could be made, it's crazy to me what we spend to to actually incarcerate those people. And then you don't realize the cost on the other end of that, because we often don't want to look at people who are, quote unquote, criminals. And uh, we don't look at the revolving door. I, I work with a charity called Rupert's Kids, which is Rupert from Survivor. Absolutely. He, he's out in Shelbyville. Uh, he's he's a great guy. And basically what he does is he takes people from the youth, uh, people in their teens or early 20s who are getting out of the prison population, and he puts them to work. The city gives him properties and then he works on rehabbing those properties and turning them into into uh, from abandoned houses into houses that are actually that have families living in them. So he's doing no cost economic development with people who have never been taught how to work. And uh, it, he's he's he still the city still sometimes gives him trouble or, or tries to overcharge. It's mind boggling. But what you see when you watch his program you see kids who have never had um, anybody show them, like they're almost like feral cats, <laughs> you know? Like it, it, they haven't been taught the social norms that you and I grew up with mm-hmm. because their parents had a, a litany of addictions or were in a cycle of poverty and crime themselves. And what Rupert does is he, he takes these kids and he he teaches them the dignity of work. And... Uh, they are constantly going back into the system, despite his help, because they have an ankle bracelet that costs 170 a week. You know, they and, and so when you have a kid who doesn't know how to work, has never worked a day in his life, 
who doesn't have a family support system, mm-hmm. and he he owes the the county 150 a week. How do you think he's going to make money? And so you put him right back in the same situation with better criminals who teach him how to make more money at crime, and you go, I just don't know why this person can't get it together. You know, it's it's the way that we have set up the criminal justice system. You often these kids will be put into a situation where they're using a public defender who, uh, you know, public defenders do their best, but they have 90 cases in front mm-hmm. of them versus the, the state who, you know, a prosecutor usually has about the same, but they have unlimited resources mm-hmm. and, and, well, not unlimited. I'm, I'm sure local prosecutor go, oh, let me show you my budget. Yeah. Um, but but it, it, is, it is just a fundamentally, um, if you're stuck in the cycle of poverty, uh, the state, the government doesn't do you any favors. And we don't want to take a look at it because it's ugly to look at maybe we're voting in the problems. We're responsible for other people's misery because of the votes that we cast. And that's what I always try to get people to look at. You know, the look at the look at just because legislation has good intentions when it is passed. It doesn't mean that the results will be what will actually turn out to help people. There are a lot of people who are victims of DCS. Mm hmm. And DCS exists to protect people. The people who work for DCS want to protect kids, mm-hmm. but often the bureaucracy forces them into a position where the kids get hurt worse. And it's because we vote in people who don't have the right solution, which is more government, more bureaucracy. And that just means less resources and, and more problems. So from a, a libertarian perspective, I want to ask you about some of the those hot button issues that are going on and kind of see where where you fall um at least you yourself um obviously right now here in the state of indiana there is and and this is not a setup question in any way shape or form um there's a huge push not just in the state across the country for education and and increased pay for teachers Mm -hmm. um you know red for ed there was a rally downtown yesterday Mm -hmm. um where do you stand on public education as far as with your libertarian views and and should that be a government system? Should it be a private system? How should that work? There's always two ways to look at a problem when you're a libertarian. There is the existing way that we look at the issue, the the, the more pragmatic view. Uh, the the Owenites for New Harmony, Indiana, wrote into <laughs> Section 8 of the Constitution that there is to be public education in the state. So if you want to follow the Constitution, there has to be, by law, by statute, uh, a public option for education. Uh, if you want to look at it from a purely pragmatic view, then I would I would like it all to be private. But let's let's just take the state of Indiana. The the answer is always more choice. I support teachers because I want to give them more options for work. I don't want a community to only have one choice for teachers to work in. If you if you don't, I I just talk to so many teachers who are quitting. Or who don't want to do their job. They go into education and six years in, they're just like, I'm, I'm done with this. And it's not the kids. It's not the work. It's the administrations that they're working for, which are usually hamstrung and restricted by federal regulations because of the Department of Education or because of state, the state legislature. Are you seeing a pattern here where the people who are in Washington, the 536 people who who don't live in your community and are making decisions for you are messing it up for your local community? That's the pattern here. Uh, but with education, I, I think teachers should get paid more. And the, and the way to get more pay for teachers is to give more options 
for people to send their kids to school. So you have more private schools, you have more charter schools, you have more, uh, you you have the public option, uh, and that is just a a passing of a change in the regulations that we have. But then you see the backlash against someone like Mitch Daniels and Tony Bennett when they try to introduce school choice, and it's from the teachers themselves. And so it's like that meme that you see where the kid has the boot on his face and then it zooms out and the kid has his hand in the boot on on his head. <laughs> and you go, I don't get it. You, you're not, by opening up choice to families and students, you're creating more job opportunities for teachers. And increased competition is going to mean increased competition, competition for wages. Uh, so the, the school choice movement has largely... Um, been fought by teachers unions and I don't often understand that because I look at it and I you know I say why wouldn't you want why wouldn't you want three different options to send your kids to school in t- in this town whereas as educators why wouldn't you want two other options to go work at instead of just one like why limit choice and so we only have limited choice at, because we are choosing to elect people who are limiting the choice it's us that has the boot on our head <laughs> And I and I even as an educator, and I and I've told this to Jim, and and it would, uh, I always laugh and say that I I may get have people yelling at me when I come into work uh, tomorrow. I totally understand the choice element, mm-hmm. um, and I I don't disagree with it. My fear is always making sure that the choice is fairly treated, um, is held to the same standards and is you know something that is not created so that people can leave the public element and have a a less fulfilling education somewhere else no offense but the the public option isn't doing a very good job of educating our kids like it is and the results come from having a monopoly on the service why do you say that it's not having a good effect i think when you look at the are you looking at test scores i'm looking at test scores yeah and and just in the um you know and, and maybe that's unfair of me but i think that's the benchmark that that teachers are judged on i think we've gone way too far into uh you being forced into teaching a test for instance but a monopoly on a service always breeds poor results like it's just it's common sense i would agree with that you know and so when when i hear public educators say well we need to make sure that those private choices are are have good standards they never want those same standards kind of like it's like those other options are popping up because sometimes the the monopoly and the bureaucracy that has been built around that monopoly has created a system that isn't working for teachers that isn't working for students, it's not working for administrators, it's not working for society, but we're going to keep perpetuating this because we're too afraid to look at different options. Well, I would say, like, I mean, obviously as an educator, I think the problem that I always have is if we want to look at the test scores, because that's what's published in the paper, so that's what everybody says, this is a good school versus a bad school, or this is a good teacher and a bad teacher, but they continuously... The go- I mean, like the government, I mean, like they continuously are changing the test. Right. So it's like I'm constantly playing catch up. Right. With what are they what this year they thought that this handful of stuff was important. But next year they think this is important. Like, right. how am I supposed to know? 
instead what of, is important and, and so i mean right. like so that's what's frustrating for me when somebody says it's the test scores that i mean like and and that's what a lot of people say right and but it's hard when it's like every other year or they're changing you know like what test we are taking not even just the same test because a couple years ago we were taking one and then you know now it's another well here in a few years we got something else and so it's like we're not only changing tests but we're changing the information on the test yeah and we're not giving you the chance to build a set of skills that 10,000 hours that like like I think, forgive me for walking to the lion's den and yelling at the lion, but I think teachers are often too sensitive, and when we talk about educational reform, they take it personally. When people like myself look at it and go, I want to end the Department of Education so those standards are, are removed, so you, in your local communities, in in cooperation with parents, I, I look at the, parents are often the problem. And it's because they're not really forced to participate in the process because right. it's been outsourced to Washington, D.C. And so we have less empathy, less involvement, less engagement, less understanding. I mean, how do parents help with a kid's homework if the teacher can't even keep up with it? So the the answer usually is the centralization of the, the force – uh, is the problem. It's not the teachers. It's that we're not giving teachers a chance to get better at their job because right. we're constantly loosing the football out from under them. And I will give I will give our legislature a little bit of credit because the new Indiana graduation pathways that they've come out with mm-hmm. for high school students is a step in the right direction, giving choice, giving options to a high school student of ways to fulfill their graduation requirements. Right. Now, I temper that with they terrify me that they continue to look at it and they're continually changing it yeah. and changing the game. It sometimes is like they look and they're like, oh, my gosh, too many kids are passing this test. Let's change it. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, like, I like, that's what I right. feel like. You know, it's like we finally, you know, we we've had this same test for multiple years. You know, we're kind of figuring out what you know what we need to teach i mean like and i don't mean like teach the test i mean like what here's what these guys think are important so that's what i need to you know tell my kids that are important and that kind of thing and so it's like but oh wait now we're going to change it so now i mean i agree with the pathways because i mean that kind of gets like hits all spectrums whether you know it's you know one of the honors kids or like a technical type kid i mean like to where they don't have to i don't have to force everybody to take that one test they can you know graduate with their own right. individual path yeah i just think it's ludicrous that we think that 535 people in washington dc know better than the two of you like what i'm really trying to get across to to people are a couple things first libertarians don't hate teachers or cops or in or osha inspectors or <laughs> like I, those your roles will all exist but you'll have more money and more options and uh you'll be able to have more control in your daily life if a libertarian society exists. We support teachers. We support police officers. We support uh, all of these all of these people who work for the government because we want to remove the things that are making your life miserable. Like the mm-hmm. number one group of people that like our Facebook page, uh, We Are Libertarians, are, are veterans and soldiers. And it's because we don't want to send them on unnecessary adventures across overseas we're in 159 countries for what reason uh other than we'll get into that later but um (laughs) you can listen to we are libertarians we'll get into that discussion but uh because it's much longer but the reality is that we support teachers we support removing the things that are making your job harder and 
it, and it all comes down to the realization and the acceptance of people that you are in control of your own life, that you are in control of your community. The most important social uh, order is the individual and the family. And you as a family and you as an individual make up a community. And then the community is really what ought to work together to come up with these standards. Not having some presidential candidate from New York have an opinion on some kids in Kentucky who are in Washington, D.C., arguing over whether or not they can control the force of abortion and government laws and where's that the gun of the United States Congress going to point towards pro-life or pro-choice. Like, it's all ludicrous to me. The world is the hundred people that exist in your daily life and that are going to come to your funeral. That is who should be making the decisions on how your life is structured. Me living an hour north of here, I should have no say in your life and how you live it. You know, I can have my opinions, but it doesn't mean that I have the right to put a gun to your head and say, I, I, I'm a Christian and I believe these are the right ethics and the right values. And so you're going to live this way or else, or I'm going to put you in jail. And, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and I will say this about the, the education point. This and, and it's, it goes right to your point. And again, for my educator friends out there, they may not like that I say this, but the whole idea when I go out and, and I'm a high school principal, okay. so I am an administrator. She's, she's still, she is a teacher. Um, the whole thing, when I go out and talk to local employers in our community, we have, they're wanting a different set of skills than what yeah. the federal government and state is telling right. me. Other communities that have a different employer base Mm -hmm. is looking for a different set of skills you know we have a a strong manufacturing community in um where i'm the high school principal at in our community they want workers who are are skilled in those manufacturing trades and skills and and abilities whereas in downtown indianapolis that may not be or in you know southern kentucky it may be more agriculture and that's where i think we have to get to is to design and I don't want to box a kid in because we have kids that can go on and be doctors and lawyers and everything else. But for the majority of our kids, we need to get them to where they can have sustainable employment, mm-hmm. be a good member of our society and add to our society and our community going forward. Self-empowerment, self-fulfillment, personal responsibility. Like these are important values. I, I, I don't I mean, it's been 20 years since I've been at school, but even through high school, the focus to me seemed to be memorization. Yep. Um the only real skill that I learned in high school that I use to this day was my journalism class, an elective class that probably is that I'm sure is shrinking across right. the industry. Uh, you know, when Rupert ran for governor in 2012, that's how I, I ran with him. I mean, he he really was pushing a return in the state of Indiana to vocational training. Uh, and fortunately, Mike Pence tested that. It tested well, and he stole it and put it in TV commercials and then enacted some reforms when he became governor, which is the benefit of libertarians running for office, right? Like, here's a guy from a community that has a different set of experiences than Mike Pence or even John Gregg. He says, hey, this is what the community needs. Politician A says, hmm, that sounds interesting. Uh, Hey, why don't you put some testing on that, see how that polls, uh, or research it a little bit. They find that that's valuable, and they enact it. And really, the the, um, the the best education that I got 
was vocational training. I mean, I work in the creative industry, I, and I learned most of how I do what I do through first YouTube and then through just trial and error and experience. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn it in school. School didn't prepare me for a creative field. It doesn't prepare kids to be engineers. It doesn't prepare kids to be mechanics. Uh, and so I think the way that, like, if you if you ever talk to a Montessori parent, where basically it's sort of like self-structured learning, I think. It's, mm-hmm. it's more... You know, the, the kid, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I want to do this. And then they kind of help put you on that track. Those parents are always happier than parents who, or, or those kids, too, are usually happier than just public education kids. Because we have a system that was built after World War One and World War Two that was designed for an economy that doesn't exist anymore. Absolutely. It, we it now exist in the gig economy. I have several, you know, I've had... 20 jobs and I'm 35 like it, it, it is a gig economy and you don't have the kind of um, hives that the worker bees used to go and and, and so the, the entire educational system was designed after World War II for a workforce that does not exist anymore and we don't have the flexibility to change the educational system because it is entrenched in politics and politics is what makes it completely inert it, nothing is going to change because politics has control of education and not the two of you. And I have a tough time totally arguing with that. And I, I agree 100 percent because the thing that is happening, we, we still want this, you know, this well-rounded student with basic knowledge that leaves high school and goes on. That's not applicable anymore. That kid needs to leave with true skills and what they're doing. And I say it all the time these things right here are the most powerful things in the world. I don't need to memorize the state capital. So I know that, you know, there's probably a fourth grade teacher out there right now that's cursing me, but I can find any memorization thing right here in 12 seconds on Google. What kids need is critical thought, how to, how to truly look at a, something they find on Google. And is it true? Is it Mm -hmm. the ability, you know, to, to, figure out if that's a, a valid source and then they need to be able to specialize in what they want to go into. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've got, we, at our high school, we're starting a computer science program next year and, and we actually have a connection to um, a cyber security Academy right down the road from us. Those are things kids need. They need yeah. to leave with those skills to go right into cybersecurity and have an, have the ability to go out and take any job they want anywhere and be very successful. Yeah, I, I mean, I I, um, I think if you look at the world that libertarians want to create, it's based on voluntary exchanges, and and it's it's a, there are two important things based on voluntary exchanges that kind of drive it. First is empathy. You see someone in need, and you see someone who is having trouble. You want to help them. And part of what's gone wrong in society is that we have outsourced, well, I want to help you, but I'm sure somebody, you know, go, go right. look for a government program that is going to treat you like you're not a human being. So we, we, and we have created a system that is um, lacking in empathy and kind of lonely, and everybody is disconnected, and our communities aren't as strong as they used to be, our families are not as strong as they used to be. And so we're all kind of miserable, even though we're safer than we've ever been. We have better health care than King Henry VIII ever had. We have great food available to us all the time. Like we have unique problems in, in human history, like being too fat you yeah. know, instead of too hungry. Um, 
you know, and so th- there's some fundamental issues with uh, a lack of uh, disconnection there. But then the other is just problem solving. And the the world exists on people going, oh, there's a problem here. I can do this differently. I'm going to build a better mousetrap and I'm going to make a billion dollars and then I'm going to fund a bunch of libraries. You know, like we we need to prepare students. I think it's it's not necessarily the the school's job to teach empathy but it is the school's job i think to teach problem solving you want to teach your kid to to recognize and what's wrong how do we fix this what are the steps to build something that will fix it how do we how do we create a world that is better you know how do you create a life that is better and how do you solve not only your problems but those around you so uh i just think we you know, education is a great test case, but there's pretty much any area that if you bring it up, I will go, okay, but is it because government bureaucracy is working that this is a problem? And this is the fundamental challenge that I always have. Back. Well, if we get rid of X, then X is going to happen. And you go, that's already happening. <laughs> you know, uh, if we get rid of, not get rid of police, but if we change the way that police are hired, or if we change, you know, from fire departments that have limited resources because they're attached to city budgets and open it up to private competition, well, then this thing's going to happen. And you go, that's already happening. Like, there's, there, there usually is, it, it's like a common scare tactic against libertarianism. Uh, well, this bad thing's going to happen. But if you really dig in and you look, you go, it's already happening with a ton of government control. So what's your argument? You know, I think people, the only argument against libertarianism is often fear. And it's usually made by people who are self-interested in perpetuating the current system. And that, to me, isn't good enough. I don't care about keeping the rich people rich. I care about making the poor people rich, you know, and making the world more equitable and more fair and having less monopolies. All right. So I'm going to take a hard left turn. Okay. And and I I honestly, I I truly appreciate and respect your opinions on education. I'm I love when people will come in here and that's that wasn't a setup question in any way, shape, yeah. or form. I love the debate and the back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I I just like knowing like because obviously as an educator, I know what like all of my friends think. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I just I think it's interesting to hear what other people think. I just I think that you know teachers unions say they have your best interest at heart and they don't. They don't have my interest at heart, your interest at heart, your kids. I just I think by and large teacher unions are there to perpetuate the current system. That's what they get paid to do. Mm-hmm. And teachers, you need to think about are they really serving you? Are they actually serving your best benefits? Because teachers are a powerful force in this society. When they actually decide to get together and change things, they can make big changes. But right now they're choosing to perpetuate the current system and they're being led by teachers unions and in my mind I don't I don't get it. Like but I don't think they have your best interest at all. Right. So let's take a hard left turn to something more on the on the national scale. Okay. Um, the wall and immigration and border security. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand as a libertarian on on those issues? Um, you know, I I look at I look at the free movement of people just as I look at the free movement of money, the free movement of goods and services. Uh, you know, if I want to hire people to work in my business from other countries really at the end of the day why is the government telling me i can't you know it it is if it is mutually beneficial to me and those people and to my community like the reality is that we have such low unemployment there's too many jobs 
to fill and there's too few people to fill them, like why why would we want to limit the amount of people that want to come and work here? Uh, I can I can concede like not wanting to uh, you know have people vote. You know you need to be a naturalized citizen to vote. You need, there needs to be a process to do that um, from a pragmatic libertarian point of view. Uh, from a pure libertarian point of view, like borders, I, I'm I would say that I'm more open border than I am whatever Trump is, uh, because <laughs> to me it doesn't really uh, it isn't really a problem that you and I can go from Illinois to Ohio to <laughs> to New York or from Crothersville to Southport, like you know, and and I don't think that there really is much of a difference between you know me and and I just don't get like the the scare tactics around. Hispanic people essentially because these are people who are steeped in western values who are conservative who are catholic who are pro-family pro-life like and conservatives want to keep them out of the country because they're afraid they're going to vote democrat but they don't get they're voting democrat because they're trying to be kept out of the country like it's it's again it's like the (laughs) complete irrationality of conservatives like a wall isn't going to work it's going to be a tremendous waste of money uh and you saw with the the children separation issue when Trump weirdly shut down the ports of asylum, uh, you saw what closed borders look like. And it's very inhumane. It's very uh, – it, it's a lot of government. It's a lot of guns. It's a lot of uh, men standing there saying, no, you can't come in. We're going to shoot you if you try. Like, like that's not liberty. That's not freedom. Um and then you also have to take a look at the reason why people from El Salvador and Honduras are trying to come here. Uh, and, and a lot of that is because their homeland uh, has been made worse because of our drug policy. And, you know, Nixon in and his chief of staff said this in Playboy in 1993. Nixon wanted to win reelection in 72. And so he wanted to criminalize drugs because he couldn't criminalize being a Black Panther or being black, and he couldn't criminalize being a, a leftist or a Democrat or, you know, weather underground. So he he started to go after the common denominator, which was drugs, which Reagan and both Democrats and Republicans have taken the drug war, and they've turned it into something that is far beyond the scope and, and scale of what the government ought to be doing, and interfering in, in um, Latin American countries, uh, including selling drugs in those countries <laughs> and and weapons, as we saw with Fast and Furious. <laughs> and uh, we lock up El Salvadorans here in the United States because of drugs. They go get put into prisons in, you know, L.A. And Latin gangs form because they're fighting the white gangs and the black gangs. And that's how you get MS-13, which then they get deported back to El Salvador. They end up taking over the country because they have connections with drugs the cartels end up controlling the country. Misery commences, and we now have families fleeing there because of American policy. Like they're there, and, and the refrain is usually, "Well, you're just blaming America." I am. I'm blaming American policy and its government, not its people. I mean, I'm sort of blaming its people because we're voting in the people that are making the bad yeah. policy over the last forty years. But at some point, you have to go. Why are we why are we doing the same thing and expecting a different result? Like if you don't want people to flee their country, what is the misery in the country being caused by? And it's American foreign policy, it's American drug policy. So if we change some of those things, the wall won't be as necessary. You know, so instead of instead of reducing the size and scope of government, 
the, the conservatives and Republicans want to increase the size and scope of government by building a wall and having this immigration policy that hurts American employers, hurts American businesses, and, and hurts our economies. And it's nonsensical. I don't get it. No, and, and my very simple thought about it, first of all, is we've seen the elaborate tunnels they have dug. Mm-hmm. You're not going to stop <laughs> they're, the they're drug cartels. Right. The drug cartels have found a thousand different ways in the last 40 years to get drugs into the United right. States. So instead of stopping them, remove their power. Yeah, right. they will continue. Right. You can build whatever you want. They will continue to find a way because wherever there's a market, they're going to yeah. make their money. Um, the greatest damage to the cartels has been the decriminalization of marijuana in the United States. And have you noticed the absolute catastrophe that's been for Colorado. I mean, I've had five friends move there. I've had a dozen friends go vacation in Colorado in the last two years. It's so bad there that people are vacationing and moving to a state where marijuana is legal. That's how bad it is in Colorado. Like, I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic. <laughs> Slightly. You know, like, and, and it's been hugely, uh, it, it has taken the wind out of the sails of the Mexican cartels. Absolutely. So, changing our policy changed their policy which improved life for mexicans for americans for everybody like it's not it's not rocket science and and you've seen in those in those states where they have legalized cannabis you see a drop in other drug use uh, opioids heroin you see a severe drop um in the use of those drugs with legalized cannabis go look at portugal and what they did when they when they legalized all drugs and not like they decriminalized it all of a sudden and they stopped looking at it as a law enforcement problem and started looking at it as a public health problem what you saw in portugal was an astronomical drop in both arrests but also deaths and overdoses and the you know portugal has portugal and chile really show you that when you decriminalize drugs less people use drugs Mm -hmm. and it seems counterintuitive but think about you know prohibition with alcohol it's the same exact principle at play well Uh that's like i mean like at school at the middle school i used to teach at at the like whenever i was first there the kids weren't allowed to have gum right and then like the next year it was like they let them have gum and you know like the first month the kids are like I get a chew gum and then after that it's like it's not cool anymore because everybody's allowed to do it you know what i mean like on a obviously a, a million times bigger scale well, but it's, it's the same thing we had with hair color used to be yes. outlawed in our handbook piercings piercings mm-hmm. and there was this huge fear again the idea of the fear mongering that you talk about kids are going to come in with green hair and they're going to have they're going to have piercings all over their yeah. face and chains <laughs> hanging from them and all that and if they do so what and, and you know what we allowed piercings and i see less piercings now than yeah. we did when we and and it goes yeah. back to that idea of you don't We're, even hardly see like the nose piercings yeah. as much, in, you know, yeah. like anymore. We, we I, I, I remember the day that we really made the change because I was in administration still and we had a young lady who had a had a nose piercing in, yeah. which was against the rules. The teacher sent them down by the handbook. If they refused to remove it, we had to suspend that student from school for the day. Right. We spent two hours and four different administrators talking to this girl to finally get her to take it out to go back to class. She lost two hours of education. Right. Four administrators spent two hours trying to convince her so that we didn't (laughs) suspend her. And it was all over a nose ring that hurt no one else, was not a distraction, no one noticed. And that was the first point where I was like, 
we have to change yeah. this. And yeah. it's the same kind of thing. It is. It's prohibition of everything. And listen, I have I have had uh, one sip of vodka in my life at 15. I've never smoked anything or done any drug. Like, I, I am... Libertarians fight for lives much more interesting than their own. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm very boring in my personal life. And, uh, but... I recognize that when you prohibit something, you make it much more attractive. Right. Like the right. temp, the template was, uh, was alcohol prohibition, and you see the criminal element that even after, even fifty years after you decriminalized it, the the Italian and Irish gangs still had great influence. We make movies about them. Uh, so th- the same thing applies to drugs. The same thing applies to sex workers. The same p- thing applies to guns. The same thing applies to anything you want the government to prohibit. You're going to get the opposite result of what you want. And so it is if you just let people make their own choices instead of forcing them to live the way that you think they ought to live, most people end up making the choice that is the best incentive for their economic growth. And so most people choose to live responsibly when you take away all those other incentives to do things for i mean humans are just weird you tell us not to do something and we do it right. and and it's foolish why are we wasting so much police officer resources d- district attorney resources you know school administrator resources on so many different things that if you just leave it alone it'll go away mm-hmm. and that means donald trump too you just ignore him he'll go away too <laughs> <laughs> and where do you stand as far as this because we've seen, obviously, we have the two strong parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. And as a libertarian, where do you stand on finance reform, uh, campaign finance reform, things like that? How do how do we how do we go from the two party system to truly getting a libertarian elected? I know we've had some as representatives, places like that. But how do we get governors, you know, presidents, the big offices? How do we get a libertarian in? Well, first, if you're in the area, contact Erin Pyle. She she organizes the Libertarian Party around here. Um, you know, I don't. I know it's a political problem, but I really look at it as a non-political solution. I think people need to take responsibility for their own personal lives. They need to take responsibility for their own communities, their families. Uh, the best thing that you can do for liberty is to invest in your family and raise great kids and raise them to be personally responsible and raise them to understand what it means to live in a free world and to live a healthy life. And if we, you know, Generation Z and, and millennials, for all the outrage culture nonsense that you get about from millennials, they're, they're all very libertarian. Like Lucy Brenton ran for Senate here in, in Indiana. And you look at the CNN exit polling, and over 40, she got 1% of the vote. Under 40, she got 10 and so the next generations are going to change things in a libertarian direction, whether y'all like it or not. Uh, it's it, it just for all the talk about socialism and it's it's a generation of people that just want things to change and they want to be left alone and they want more choice and they're dissatisfied with their current choices, but they don't know anything other than what they see on TV, which is Ocasio-Cortez every five minutes or Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders. You know, the, the older that they get, the more libertarian I think they're going to move. Um, you know, my audience is all under 40. Uh, it, it, and so it's two very libertarian generations because we were raised on Howard Stern, South Park, Family <laughs> Guy, very libertarian cultural influences. Uh, Ron Paul was hugely influential. Uh, 
you know, Bernie Sanders is popular, and it's because he's anti-power. And the concentration of power, I think, is very concerning to a lot of young people. And libertarians offer uh, an alternative to concentrated power. Um, so I think there, there are a few things you can do. First, take personal responsibility for your life. It starts with you accepting your responsibilities in this life and you getting your stuff together. Then making your family right. And then working in your community and maybe running for local office, uh, holding your local leaders accountable, getting more invested in your local government. When I, when I traveled the state as the executive director, I would go to local county parties, and I probably visited 30. And every single county in this state has some hun- you know, $100 million project that the local politicians want to pass because they want to make a monument to their legacy. And nobody's there to stop them because nobody shows up to the county council meetings. Mm-hmm. And so you show up with a video camera and say, I'm going to Facebook Live this. All of a sudden, those projects stop. And your taxes don't go up, and you don't get some needless thing that you don't that that is just going to drain your tax dollars. Uh, so control what you can control, and you can control your local politicians. You can't control Donald Trump, and don't even try. But the <laughs> but the reality is, I am I am now seeing people work in the White House that I came up with in local Indiana politics. And so the people who start at the local level, the more you influence them, they all work their way up. And so if you can convince them to be libertarian when they're a county counselor, then you're going to get more libertarian presidents. And uh, vote for people who actually want to reform the electoral system. Hold people accountable. The, the idea that we have straight ticket voting in this state is absolutely shameful. Mm-hmm. The history of straight ticket voting is that when people who were illiterate couldn't go in and read the names on the ballot, they would hold up the chicken for the Democrats or some other ballot device for the Republicans, and you'd raise your the beer, the free beer that you got from Abraham Lincoln's party. And so it's a vestige of illiteracy and stupidity. And so we still continue to protect the two parties with this prote- incumbent protection system. That needs to go. We have artificial uh, intelligence. Todd Rakita, uh, who was the, the formerly a congressman, but he was Secretary of State. And in in uh, 2009, he introduced something called Rethinking Redistricting, and it was a monumental idea. We have computers now. Instead of letting politicians draw the maps <laughs> that, that ensure that they're, they're safe, let's have computers draw the maps so it's more fair. And he released the maps of what it ought to look like if artificial intelligence didn't draw it. He wanted to run for Senate. He couldn't run for Senate because he pissed off every state legislator in this state, in, in his party, which was a supermajority Republican at the time. He was punished by his own caucus, his own people, because he dared to do the right thing. Uh, politicians serve two constituencies. They serve the establishment, their own fellow legislators, and they serve us, their constituents. And usually those people watch too much cable news. And so the, what the establishment does and how they do it is usually diametrically opposed to what we think the politicians ought to do. And what you have to understand about politicians is they're all spineless weasels who are terrified of everything. And so if you can organize enough people in your community to terrify them instead of them being terrified by the special interest in, in Indianapolis or Washington, D.C., you then control the power and not the establishment. But you have to actually do something. 
you actually have to stop playing on your phone, ignoring your children, ignoring your responsibilities as a citizen, and you actually have to get out there and do something to change society instead of typing it on Facebook where nobody cares and nobody reads it and it changes no minds. You have to go to a county council meeting if you actually want to change something. So start there. And I love that you just said that because that's yeah. one thing BJ on the Smugcast always says is, "Hey, give me a second. I gotta, I gotta tweet this or I gotta send out this uh, this Facebook post because right. it's gonna change the world." Yeah, and right. I, there, there's yeah. so much truth to that. Like, yeah, there is. But I, I'm gonna we're we're at about an hour, and that's usually what we go. But I do want I I want to follow up with um, one more question. Um, we talked about obviously libertarianism, and there's obviously you, you made the joke earlier. If there's four libertarians in a room, there's five opinions. Right. Where do you stand personally as far as constitutionalism? Do you believe what was written is is still applicable today? Is it what we should do? Should there be adjustments? How, how, where do you stand on that point? Yeah, I think in terms of a workable framework, the the founders gave us a workable framework, uh, but we we let it grow too large. It's a, a republic if you can keep it. But Thomas Jefferson essentially said, you know, the every generation ought to uh, ought, ought to have a you know a, a chance to retool the Constitution because. What what some guys in 1789 said may not work for us today, so we shouldn't be beholden to what people wrote in 1789. We should be able to decide what is what works best in our lives now, and that's why I believe in self government. I think I think there is a time coming um, when you know the arc of human history has been under the thumb of a ruler, under the thumb of a king, under the thumb of a city state. And what technology is doing is it is allowing us to move into a new generation of humanity where we no longer have to organize society with government. We have the ability to organize our lives in a completely different way because of technology. And we're still clinging to these old ideas. And instead of saying, as, as we have become freer as a species over the last 100 years especially, but the last 400 years, because of capitalism, we have become incredibly free. It's what's called the 5,000-year leap. Uh, Cleon Skousen wrote a book called The 5,000-Year Leap, but the Constitution and allowing more personal freedom and economic freedom allowed the United States to advance society 5,000 years uh, you know, if you look at the previous 5,000 years and then the last 250 years, we've made a 5,000-year leap. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so think of the difference between my birth in 1983 and where we're at now. Th- things are changing rapidly, and bureaucracy and government is an outdated mode of organizing society. It's too slow. And we're, we're very soon going to achieve a point in history where we no longer need that holding us back. And I think we're going to eventually cast that off. So is the Constitution the best way of organizing society? If you want to have government organizing society, the Constitution is the best way to achieve that. But if you want to think in a different way and give freedom a chance, you've already seen the result. Look how far we've come since the Constitution was written. And think about how much further we could go if we didn't have 535 people, 535 uh, balls and chains hanging around our legs. How much further can we advance our communities if we're not being held back by this outmoded, outmoded uh, 
thought. So I, I, I'm I'm very scared to say that a stateless society uh, is is the best alternative. It's something that I've really wrestled with for ten years now. Um, but when you really start to look at the at the the at the advancements around the world, not just here, but around the world, India is lifted half their people out of poverty since the early 90s because of capitalism. I hear Ocasio-Cortez say that that, that capitalism is a false way of, of, of thinking. Like, are you high? Like, <laughs> like really, like, what are you saying? Uh, socialism and government controlling every aspect of our lives has been the human story. And we've gotten to a point where we no longer need it and we want to do more of it. It doesn't make sense. It's It's just... You know, it's it's scary to say let's try something different, but I think we're there at this point in society, and we need to just take the leap. Chris, I wanna I wanna thank you so much uh, for coming down and and talking with us, man. I, I appreciate it. You are um, you're you're an extremely interesting and intelligent guy, and and I love the uh, to hear your views. So thank be, you. Yeah. Before we take off, though. Tell everybody that listens to our show where they can find We Are Libertarians and, and what all they can find on the We Are Libertarian network. Yeah, wearelibertarians.com. You can uh, you can find all of our different communities. We've got Facebook groups and Discords and Twitches and book clubs and anywhere that you watch or listen to podcasts, we're there. So it's all at wearelibertarians.com, and you're more than welcome to follow me personally, too. Just look for Chris Spangle, and I'll, I'll pop up and... I'll, you'll love me half the time and the other time half you'll just hate my guts so <laughs> and, and you know the thing i would say to anybody who's listening is is take the leap to go listen to it even if you say right now no i'm a i'm a i'm diehard liberal democrat i disagree with what they say or i'm i'm very conservative diehard republican go and listen just to to see a different viewpoint i just um, want to challenge your thinking yeah. i want i don't want to make yeah. you you know what Abdul and Andy Horning did for me in my, in my formation was challenge every belief that I had, and it made me think, and it made me come to different conclusions, and it's still constantly, I'm still constantly being challenged. That's part of why I do the show is I want to challenge my own thinking mm-hmm. on things, uh, and so that's what I want to do. So go check it out. Not you know it's we we list it out by the topic that we're talking about. So maybe not every topic is going to be interesting to you. You can go back and cherry pick through the archives and. And uh, listen to something that may interest you. And I want to say that, too. And you just said it even with your idea of a stateless society. It's okay to change your mind. Right. It's okay to think and battle with and go back and forth. And in politics, a lot of times we have this idea that it's a flip flop. And there, there are people that do that for different reasons. But. You know, that is one thing I will give credit to Jim Lucas on, Mm -hmm. you know, this idea of he talked to veterans, he's done the research on medical cannabis and and cannabis legalization in general. He's went to Colorado. He's done. That's okay. Can I can I just say that this uh, Jim Lucas is very polarizing and I'm sure he's very polarizing here locally. But from a person that has been involved in local politics for 15 for 20 years, really, and has watched a variety of politicians Jim Lucas is probably the bravest legislator in the entire uh, uh, Senate or House, and he is somebody that is taking a huge risk on an issue that alienates a lot of the Republican base because it's an older base. The courage that Jim Lucas is showing is exactly what a lot of people say that they want in a legislator, but then they vote out when they actually 
do it. And I hope that the, the people that live in this area respect that there's somebody willing to stand up to his party and stand up to um, voters, stand up to the establishment, and put himself in the middle of that tug of war and say, I'm going to stand on my what I think is right, and here's the research that I've done. And I just think you guys are very lucky to have somebody that is as courageous as Jim Lucas. Even if you disagree with him, you have to look at the cojones that it is taking for him. You don't, you being from Indianapolis and being from political circles, the plotting against that guy is intense and he's going to eventually lose to someone in his own party. And unless the people in this area support courage and, and he loses and he goes down, that is a signal to all the other legislators don't pop your head up. Mm Mm-hmm. But if yeah. you support Jim Lucas and you say, I don't know that I agree with him, but I support his courage, that's a signal to all the other ones who want to be brave but are too scared to do it. So I really am proud of Jim Lucas for the courage that he's showing on this issue and so many other issues because I'm telling you, the establishment Republicans in Indianapolis absolutely hate Jim Lucas. <laughs> and, and I agree 100%. Yeah. That's what I've said from the get-go is he could have easily looked at this, and, and a lot of people outside probably think he did, that when I reached out to him and said, hey, the first time I reached out to him was the primary, and I said, hey, we want to have Nancy Franke on, and we want to have you on. Not the same time. We're not trying to get in a debate, yeah. but we want to, we want to do a, a combination episode for local people prior to the primary to hear her views, your views. Yeah. And... Obviously, it's not hard to figure out what we do. If you search our Facebook page, it's pretty obvious I'm in education. She's in education. He never once said, okay, I see what's happening here. You're trying to set me up. He came. He was very upfront. Same thing when he came back with, with Steve Schottmer during the um, mm-hmm. the actual general election. And I give him credit. He's never walked in here once and been on the defense, been on the attack. He's one that I will say has honestly talked through uh, different um, topics, different hot button issues, and he at least will tell me what his point is. But the one thing I don't think people give him enough credit on is I do think he listens. He has mm-hmm. very strong opinions, right? But I do think he will listen. Yeah. And, but you have to understand that sometimes today, if even if you listen to me and I tell you what I think, if you don't agree with my opinion, I feel like well, you never even listen. No, it's okay to still disagree when you're bathing in a society that uses force to solve every problem are we surprised that we want you to i'm going to get mad if you don't agree with me like it, it it's it's ludicrous the the way that and you really have to police yourself like you know i made a joke about lucas earlier in the podcast and the way that the establishment marginalizes courageous politicians is twofold they they call them crazy they're weird they're wacky what they're fringe they're you know conspiracy theorists and they make jokes about them. They turn them into a joke. And, you know, if if you don't want to have spineless politicians, then stop supporting spineless politicians and start supporting the ones that actually think for themselves and are willing to stand up to people who just want to continue this system. And Jim Lucas, you know, I don't know that I always agree with him, but I applaud his courage. And I think that it's time for the people in this district to start standing up for courage and lead the other districts to start having their populations stand up for courageous politicians as well. Absolutely. So everybody, don't miss uh, out. Go check out Chris on the We Are Libertarian show, wearelibertarians.com. Um, they have a whole group of shows there and, and content, and it's a, it's a great thing. And Chris, again, 
thank you so much for coming down and spending time with yes, us. Yeah, happy you. to do it. Yeah, it's great to be here. All right, and we'll see everybody next week. Um, we will be back on a little later tonight uh, on Facebook Live from Seymour uh, Brewing Company with Sean Malone, the owner of Seymour Brewing Company, and Brooklyn Pizza talking about his business and what he's going on. We'll be live uh, at Seymour Brewing Company. So that's at 7 tonight. So if you're listening now, join us again then. Um, this episode will come out on Tuesday on wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so make sure you go and check it out. Thank you, guys.